0: Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.
1: Hi there, and welcome to Ticket for One, the podcast that celebrates female solo travel. My name is Kate Wills. I'm a travel journalist, and each week I'm going to be speaking to a woman who inspires me about her adventures alone. Today's guest is the photojournalist Emily Garthwaite. Emily's award-winning work has taken her all over the world, from the coffee farms of Ethiopia to the rainforests of Borneo via the mud baths of Romania. On a visit to Iraq, she captured the annual cross-country Arbaeen pilgrimage as she too walked the 500 kilometers twice. She also live-streamed the event to millions on her social media. Emily recently founded Women Translate, an all-female language services company and she's also worked with the British government and the NSPCC on an FGM awareness campaign. I was so interested to chat to Emily about what it's been like travelling alone as a woman in places often perceived as difficult or dangerous and why it is that she feels that being a lone female photojournalist can actually give her an advantage in some spaces. We also talked about why Disney movies on a laptop are an essential travel companion and why she lived in India for six years without ever seeing the Taj Mahal. Hi Emily, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. Whereabouts in in the world are you calling from? I'm actually in Spain on a job. Lovely, nice. I mean, it's many people's dream job to travel the world taking photos. So tell me just briefly how you got into photojournalism.
2: Well, a lot of it was sort of when I kind of retrospectively look back at my career it seems to make a lot more sense than it did at the time. But <laughs> I'd say it all all really started as a young teenager and borrowing my mother's camera and it all started with a forest fire which was my family live in Surrey and we live on the edge of um, some national trust land and two and a bit miles of it burnt down in a matter of a couple of days because it's such peaty soil, so it sort of burns underneath the ground. And my father let me go up onto the heathland and photograph the woods on fire, which was really heartbreaking for me. And, you know, it took 10 years to to grow back. And um, I think it was quite a formative experience because I just recall feeling so frustrated that no one knew about it and feeling... So compelled to tell that story because I wanted people to know it was really important. And um, when I look back at everything, I I definitely see that as being the real change in me. And then, just such an odd turn of events. But during lockdown, it happened. The fire happened again. Twelve years later, I didn't go to see it. Actually, I just couldn't do it, and I still haven't seen it. It was just it was beyond where just beyond where we live probably like a mile and a half away. And I just I just couldn't engage with that. But it was this odd change where I'd sort of gone back to being a child during lockdown with my family. And yeah. then the fire happened again. And there I was with the camera and, you know, so much more experience.
1: Coming full circle. Yeah,
2: but a really sort How of strange. concerning full circle. And now that won't grow back for another 10 years, you know, until it's sort of back to the state that it was originally. And I guess it's just the life cycle, isn't it? It was quite a sort of spiritual moment, really Mm, reflected on how much my life had changed.
1: Yeah, I'm sure. And lots of symbolism in in fire and and
2: things like that Mm, anyway. Rebirth.
1: Yeah. So it all started in in Surrey. But since then, you've been to some incredible places. How how do you sort of choose your topics or decide where you want to go and shoot?
2: I think a lot of it has, has come about by chance. And I think a lot of the jobs that I've been Employed for have mainly been about the intention I set for a project and my approach with subjects. So, more often than not, it's focused on women's stories or misunderstood, misrepresented communities. So, I've done a lot of work with um, with Shia Muslims, and I've done a lot of work with women survivors, be it of war, of slavery, of sexual violence, and um, and with that, you end up working a lot with children and. I guess I've I've had an opportunity to do some amazing projects in the UK and in Asia and I had my first visit last year to the US. I'd never been to America.
0: Oh um, wow.
2: Which was really amazing. It was quite well wind. And I'd always felt that it was it was it was a place I wanted to visit more than anything because Growing up and the perception of America and the kind of the polarities that you read about and particularly the political situation. So I I went to Detroit. That was my first experience of America. And I then was based outside of Detroit in Dearborn, which has the largest population of Middle Eastern immigrants outside of the Middle East. So some of the roads are in Arabic and the communities are so diverse. You've got Palestinian, Jordanian, Syrian, Lebanese, Iraqi, Iranian. it's absolutely amazing. It's very representative of America, a melting pot of cultures and identities and stories. That sounds incredible. Do you have a favourite shot or uh, a favourite kind of place from your travels? My favourite place is uh, the Kurdistan region of Iraq and I hadn't been there before mid last year and I arrived there and within 10 days I rented an apartment and moved <laughs> Wow! and, and I, I've i always thought I've been to some really beautiful places in the world and I, I've always thought well, would I live here and no I, I don't think I would it's not quite right for me and then um, I was in the Kurdistan region of Iraq and I just thought this is this is heaven on earth I love this country so much. And I'm so fond of doing the work here and exploring the, the landscape and working with the communities on the ground. And so unfortunately, due to COVID, I, I haven't been able to go back yet. And I, My apartment is still very quiet. <laughs> but um, that's my favourite place in, in the world.
1: Okay, tell us a little bit about what it's like there. Because I think for for many people that you know, they they kind of get quite a restricted view of Iraq from from maybe what they've seen on the news. So
2: tell us what it's really like. And you know, what made you feel like you wanted to live there? Um, I first traveled to Iraq in 2017. And I was in southern Iraq, which is, so there, so it's two different regions. So you've got um, the Kurdistan region of Iraq, which is an autonomous region run by Kurds. And then the rest of Iraq, and it's marked by a border. So it's a different visa system, for example, if you fly from the UK. And then you've got what would be known if you're in the Kurdistan region of Iraq as federal Iraq, which is predominantly Arab. And they're both incredibly different landscapes, and very different cultures, and different languages. And the experience of both um, have really, really shaped my work. And more than I mean, I absolutely love the Kurdistan region of Iraq. But logistically, it's also a much um, easier experience for someone who's moving from the UK, for example. It's visa on arrival. It's a very um, comfortable kind of travel experience. Whilst There's a lot that has to be arranged if you're going to uh, southern Iraq, and um, in the north it's it's mountainous, it's lush. I always love renting a car and going for a drive very freely. There's some great places to to stay, some fantastic hotels. It's a very very open-minded, liberal place. It's also been through immense hardships and still is. It has a huge refugee population, majority. Um, Syrian Kurds and still experiences airstrikes from Turkey and a huge amount of difficulties. But in the face of it, it is um, a really thriving region and it has so much to offer. I'm working with a number of different partners uh, and organizations just to encourage people to come and visit. My sales pitch is I normally go straight in saying there's a ski resort and then people go, a ski resort in Iraq? And then I go, yes. And then I'll start the full, the, the the full, full spiel. Pitch. Yeah, I've got in trouble with like, clients before and they're like, please stop plugging Iraq. It's, you know, yeah. can we try something <laughs> else? So I am a huge fan of the country. I was reflecting a lot on lockdown, saying like, "What makes me happy? And what stories do I want to tell? And purpose and things." And all of it came back to Iraq. I realised that that's that's the place that I want to be. That's where my soul kind of you know that's where it sings. I love that place.
1: Yeah, and and a lot of places that you visit are, um, I guess, countries that some people might perceive as being quite difficult for a for a woman travelling alone. I'm thinking about Iran and afghanistan and, and and places like that
2: what what have your experiences been like there? I think my experience is informed a lot by privilege and the color of my skin i I just I find it a very hard sort of way to look at generalization of of women because I think if I was a black woman traveling in Iran, the experience would be very very different so I'm also immensely protected in a lot of the work I do because I'd be going with an organization or I'd be going as part of like a conference or so the experience of a lot of these trips is very sheltered a lot of the time in many ways I wish I I had more freedom but say like in Afghanistan I have to go because it's with an NGO you, you live in a compound and you have to go everywhere with security because of insurance and no one wants anything to go wrong otherwise programs are defunded so it's very important that you, you know, you go by the book. But, you know, my experiences in the US have been uh, at times very difficult. The same in London, the same in Iran, the same in Afghanistan. The same wherever I go, there, there are experiences that are very challenging because if you are an independent woman, even if you are with an organisation, you're still sort of independently working. And nine times out of ten, you're working with a large team of men. And um, there are challenges to, to all these sorts of jobs. But what I have done is made sure that I work with women translators, that I try to get a team of women around me. So the last couple of jobs I've done have just been with women and then a male driver because it's obviously it's harder in the Middle East to, it's just not a typical career for a woman to have in certain countries. And that has changed a lot for me because the space and the working environment, especially if you're documenting women's stories, for example, is very appropriate. I don't see why there should be a male translator for women's stories. You know, all of these spaces have to be safe for everyone. So that's my experience of traveling now as a woman working as a photojournalist. It's so informed by Instagram following, for example. You know, people place certain people on pedestals for having a larger following. I find them taken more seriously. And it's such a vacuous thing. But it's amazing how much it informs an experience. I think I neglect it quite a lot because I don't really value it in the same way that someone else might value it because we've sort of got this, and I don't really fully understand the whole Instagram setup. I guess it sort of like legitimizes someone. And there are some ridiculously incredible photographers who've got 200 followers who frankly should take all of mine. (laughs) it's it's funny how that's that's
1: changing things and actually that's a really interesting point you say about being a woman and surrounding yourself with other women and I and I wondered if actually maybe being female does give you an advantage in some places you know gives you access to to spaces where men might not be allowed or might not be trusted in the same way
2: yeah I've always enjoyed the all-women spaces like when I when I'm traveling in southern Iraq if I'm staying with a family, you'll be separated into like the men and the women's quarters. And I've just loved the that time with women away from any male gaze and just the ability to talk freely about what it is to be a woman and all of our experiences. And it's amazing what happens within only five minutes of women alone together. We're already yeah. plotting.
0: <laughs> yeah, We're it's a special discussing. atmosphere,
2: isn't it? Mm, it's amazing atmosphere especially when there are babies and toddlers involved and some of the most important conversations I've had are in those spaces because there's a commonality that we all experience but there's also certain things which they are going through that they share with me that I'm not in a position to advise they are so complicated but you can support and I think one of the real joys of being a photojournalist is being this anonymous bystander for a lot of people where they can share their inner thoughts and they trust you to keep them. And for the most part, a lot of things people tell me, I don't share. I always think there's a time when you're interviewing someone and it's very, very clear that answering questions, knowing that there will be an audience and knowing that it's for use by an organisation. And then within that interview, there are times when they are speaking to you and you only and they want to share something personal. And I think I've really learned over the years like the boundary between those two. You know, they're just they're just sharing it with you in the room.
1: Mm, person to person. Well, than as a journalist, that's so interesting.
0: Hey,
2: Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus plushcare.com slash weight loss
1: and have you done much solo traveling um for yourself you know that hasn't been on assignment or are you just always
2: kind of working do you always take your cameras i've been traveling solo since i was 19 but i was thinking the first time i ever traveled solo i must have been 10 or 11 years old and i went from southampton airport and my parents put me on a flight to see my grandparents in Jersey. And I don't know whether you travelled, I think if you're under 16 or under, I'm not sure how, how old until you can sort of go independently, but you get picked up by like a binder from the the airline and then you get taken through. And And I remember feeling so proud of myself for being trusted enough at that age to fly on my own. And what's the flight to Jersey back in those days was I think it was only like 35 minutes. So by the time you'd got up into the air, they would hand you like a Coca-Cola. You were expected to drink it very quickly and then you'd be landing. And um, that was an amazing experience. And I I haven't forgotten it because it was sort of this sense of trust and knowing that that I would be able to get to my grandparents and going on this plane and things. So I wouldn't say that shaped everything, but I certainly wanted to travel on my own And it was a very, very purposeful self, like an act of self-care, actually. And I felt that I really, really needed that space. And I really needed to spend some time with myself and to understand myself better. I was very unsure of what I wanted to do and more than anything, unsure of what I wanted to say. And those years of traveling on my own and reading and being mindful and, And learning how people interact with you and the good people and the bad people, and meeting people from different cultures and religions. And, you know, it helps you understand your place in the world. And it also helps you understand other people's experiences of the world. And we may live in the same place and we may travel in the same way, but our experiences and the way we're treated will be different. So I, I think it's a it's a must for anyone, but it certainly doesn't have to be done when you're young. I've met amazing women who've travelled solo at seventy. You know? Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I I think it's such an important thing for for everyone to do at least once. And I'm I'm always really surprised when when I meet people who've who've never travelled by themselves or kind of yeah just taken themselves on a on a trip because it is a very different experience i think when you're solo but it can it can be difficult and and lonely at times isn't it are there you know things that you find challenging about it and and how how do you overcome overcome them
2: i think i mean i had some incredibly challenging moments with work and i think that netflix has always been i'm sorry <laughs> to pick it up but on my phone downloading films onto my I mean, they have to be really light films like Finding Nemo and things like that. I could <laughs> not. They're super, super light films because I can't. When work is really intense, I have to be able to tune out and I'm still not very good at it. But I think I don't say much get like lonely, but I can feel isolated. If I have any freedom taken away from me, I can feel that quite powerfully. And I also. Need my own space because I'm a very introverted person. So when I'm working and I can't have that moment of solitude, I can find that very very difficult. But I think that there are there are a lot of challenges. Loneliness is definitely a mentality for sure. And I, I really really enjoy my own company. That's what I crave more than anything. So um, I feel like I was saying the other day that I'd really like to go off and do a solo trip. Just you know to a city or you know, without any purpose, it doesn't have to be a story, just to go off and wander. I think that would be very important. But I did, I did manage to do that in January, I sort of developed quite a negative relationship with travel, because I was traveling all the time. And then I would come back and I try and see friends in London, and I would have only four days, and I'd be exhausted. And I I'd normally be a bit sort of like, wired, because I would know I would need to be present. And I would just give my energy away because I otherwise I felt like a bad friend and then in January I had some time off in between a job and I yeah you know, I rented this car and I just I went driving around I went to go and see a friend in Soleimani which is south of uh, Erbil the city in Kurdistan region of Iraq and then we went out hiking and It was snowing at points and I sat in a lot of coffee shops and I journaled and I really reconnected with travel again because for the most part I would always go to a country and I would experience a part of the country that was quite troubled or was going through difficulties and actually it's so important that you have that balance and that's I think Kurdistan region of Iraq has been such a blessing for me in so many ways because I've I've walked for weeks and weeks and weeks across that country with the team at the Abraham Path Initiative. So I've just been able to roam around this country and meet people along the way and then also do more intense, you know, specific assignments about communities and certain uh, issues, you know, facing communities. So by having that balance, I think it's a a much more well-rounded travel experience.
1: Definitely, going a bit deeper into one place rather than yeah, trying to do too much. What what tips would you give to someone who's who's wanting to travel alone, other than then, you know finding Nemo on your Netflix, <laughs> which I love.
2: <laughs> um, a very good first aid kit, That's mm-hmm. an absolute plus. It sounds very, very boring, but it's so important. And good travel insurance. I'm thinking of my my experiences. Uh, eye mask, earplugs. With all of my work, it's so important because if I'm in a family home and there are kids crying and things, you have to be able to tune out. I also, in terms of just like tips for how you travel, always walk. Mm, that's such a good one. Yeah, because you miss so much when you're in a car. Yeah, and I think I d like re rethink what a what a country or or a city is. I know they say you should go to all fifteen museums and, you know, every single uh market and this list of restaurants, but that doesn't mean that you haven't kind of fulfilled if you don't do those things, you've still had your own experience of a city or a region. I remember telling friends like I've been working in India for six years and I still haven't been to the Taj Mahal and a couple of people have been like oh, you haven't seen India <laughs> and I thought, that's, not really, that's not really the case and um, I think that's really important people just end up being under so much pressure and stressed if I've met people you know on the road and they're they're trying to do everything and you can't and actually the best thing you can do is take a very long walk and then sit in a coffee shop and watch the world go by and I just encourage people to slow down People are moving so quickly, trying to do everything they can. Moments of authenticity are the most important. And the person you're sitting next to, for example, in the coffee shop, no doubt, if you've picked a, a you know, one that isn't on the tourist circuit, if you pick a local one, you might end up having a remarkable conversation with someone in the region who will then recommend something else for you to do. And you know, sort of through power positivity and intuition, you can start an entirely different journey. So I think that's really important. And that's what I've started to do now. Whenever I'm traveling, I will walk.
1: That's great. I think that's the other nice thing about being on your own is that often you you will kind of fall into conversations with people that maybe you wouldn't have done if you were traveling with a partner or with, with a friend, just walking and and chatting can actually um, reveal so much about a place <laughs> rather than, I think Instagram as well is, is a bit to, to blame for people wanting to kind of tick off this this checklist of, of you know, must see destinations in a place. It's about slowing things down.
2: My partner always says walking at three miles an hour, like life at three miles an hour is the most sort of fulfilling I like that.
1: Yeah, Rebecca Solnit says that that's actually the speed our mind works at as well. It's like three miles an hour. That's why you have some good thoughts when you're when you're walking. Sometimes, yeah. one place we haven't talked about, which has really been on on my list of places I want to go, is is Iran. How did you find it?
2: I had quite an odd experience because. The team I'd met in um, Karbala in Iraq and they had invited me to Iran and I went to Qom, which is the sort of the the religious epicenter of Iran. So I had a very conservative experience and it was mostly centered around the community in in Qom. And also I just solely wanted to focus on that. So I didn't have much of a sort of, in better terms, like travel experience. But I see the, the last trip I had as being the first trip and one of many. And uh, one cannot uh, tell all those stories in one go. So I'm really excited to return. And I think I would recommend everyone visit Iran. It's truly beautiful, delicious food, extraordinary people and generosity and kindness. And I also think that um, it's a country which is perfect for, um, I mean, you're able to see a lot of it very quickly. Because of the the way in which you can because you can drive so much of it if you go with a with a company you can you can happily drive from Tehran and go all the way down to the coast and experience a lot of the country very quickly. I would highly recommend it. I was so excited to go
1: um where's next on your list is there Is there anywhere you're kind of dreaming of visiting
2: or um I will be going to Northern Ireland, which is one of my favourite places in the world. Ah, oh, okay. And I'll be walking around Northern Ireland for some time and looking at folklore. One of my favourite jobs right now, which is such a privilege that a private client and I, I photograph his children growing up. It's such a shame because it's like they're my fav- some of my favourite photographs because it goes so deep into the lives of uh, these two boys, but um, I'm on it right now. And so I photograph them living and breathing and growing up and learning and how their relationship develops with me and the camera It's becoming more and more collaborative the older they get a
1: bit like that that
2: richard Linklater film boyhood you know where he, he it's follows a bit that. like boyhood yeah how many years have you been doing that for it will be coming up to three years yeah they're turning seven in october so it's they've they've changed a lot that's uh, the negotiation with the pictures now i mean i was just saying i'm off to go and do a podcast and then medi was like saying to me and when you get back we're going to continue with the lego don't be late <laughs> <laughs> so now we've moved on to some serious lego creations yeah
1: I love how fearless and intrepid Emily has been while traveling alone in search of a story. But I do think it's possible to have an adventure a bit closer to home. You don't need to go to the Kurdistan region of Iraq. In fact, one of the best things about traveling by yourself is that it can make even the most run-of-the-mill trip feel quite high-octane. So here are some more tips on how to dial up the excitement next time you go away by yourself. First thing I'd say is to turn your phone off. I think when you're travelling alone, it can be really tempting to rely on your phone for company. So you get it out at every opportunity and it becomes a bit like a crutch or a prop. But if you can put it on flight mode or turn it off or just put it away somewhere, it makes such a huge difference to your trip and how you experience your surroundings. I'd also say it's a good idea to do a bit of research even if you're in the most beautiful, incredible place, if you're finding that you're surrounded by loads of other people waving selfie sticks, it can feel hard to uh, feel that intrepid. But if you do a bit of digging or pre-planning, you'll find there are these sort of unspoiled spots that are often like an incredibly short distance away from the main tourist track. You know, maybe it's something like hiring a kayak for the day and then you can stop off at secluded bays that main boat trips don't, don't go to. Or, you know, maybe you do a bit of organization and you get a permit for a national park or an area or a beach which only lets in a certain number of visitors each day. And then lastly, I think it's a really good idea to do something scary. Um, It doesn't have to be, you know, a bungee jump or a skydive or something dramatic. It can be really simple, like trying the local food or just doing something you'd never do at home, like an open mic night or a dance class. I think anything that you can do that like takes you out of your home self is a way to make travel more adventurous and memorable. And that's actually a great thing about about traveling alone is that, you know, there's no one that you know to embarrass yourself in front of. (laughs) That's all from me. Thank you so much for listening to Ticket for One. I'll be back next week or you can follow me on Instagram at Kate Wills Writes. If you are enjoying the podcast, I'd appreciate it so much if you could rate it and review it as it really helps get a new podcast out there. I hope to see you next week and goodbye.